Welcome to the Spark Weekly. I'm Scott Lamar. Coming up on the program this week, the Pennsylvania State Police and PennDOT are educating or reminding motorists during Highway Safety Law Awareness Week. Also, from the projects of Harrisburg to the boardroom of UPMC, Dr. Sherry Livingston is an OBGYN and the highest volume female robotic surgeon in Lancaster County. On the Spark, Dr. Livingston discusses her new roles and how she has stayed true to her childhood dream of becoming a doctor. We're in the middle of Highway Safety Law Awareness Week in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania State Police and the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, or PennDOT, are reminding those on the roads about bicycle, motorcycle, pedestrian, work zone, and emergency responder safety laws. Joining us on the Spark today are Trooper Megan Fraser, Public Information Officer with Troop H of the Pennsylvania State Police, and Fritzy Schreffler, Safety Press Officer with PennDOT. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having us. So, Fritzy Scheffler, let me start with you. Highway Safety Law Awareness Week sounds pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. What's the idea behind it? It's just a week that we take to maybe highlight laws that people should be aware of and maybe just don't pay attention to. So it used to be like odd laws, like your window tint or not wearing earbuds when you're driving or something like that, but they really dialed it back to focus on things you should be aware of. Okay, so this- And priorities. This is kind of a rhetorical question, but remind people or make them aware? I think it's probably a mix of both, um, because we'll hear people say, well, I didn't know that was a law. It's been around for a long time. Trooper, we were just talking <laughs> off the air about uh, some of the things that uh, motorists will say when they've been pulled over. Are there a lot of laws that uh, motorists aren't aware of or maybe forget? I mean, there there's a lot of laws, but uh, like Fritzy said, the the earbuds while driving. I mean, that that's a safety issue. You can't hear what's going on around you. Um, even another one that we uh, encounter a lot is um, motorcycles drivers not wearing eye protection. It sounds so simple, but a lot of a lot of times they get pulled over and they say that they don't know that they're supposed to have eye protection. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What happens if a bug hits you in the eye? What are you well, going to do? I, 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 well, yeah. I, I mean, that's... I, For I me, would it would think... be swallowing the bug. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's a safety issue, but you see, I see so many people, and we're going to talk about this, over the age of 21, not wearing a helmet, but mm. also not wearing uh, eye goggles either. Yeah, they they have to have eye protection on no matter what, and the passenger as well. The sunglasses? Do sunglasses? Yes, like, are, I don't think it's just sunglasses. They have to be certain kinds of eye protection. That I'd have to look into, but I mean, eye protection is eye protection to yeah. just us passing you. So. You know, we're going to talk about uh, motorcycles in just a moment, but just a, an observation. You know, the, there was so much controversy in Pennsylvania about whether to wear helmets mm-hmm. or not. Now... Wearing, not wearing a helmet, having that option if you're over the age of 21 and there are other restrictions, um, it's been in, in, in place for a while now. I'm noticing more motorcycle riders wearing helmets, though. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good thing. Unfortunately, I've been to a lot of motorcycle crashes that they would have survived if they simply wore a helmet. Um, I think fatal it's ones. Fatal ones, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that head injury. Yep, and it, like it, this, it's very unfortunate, but it's something so simple that just putting on a helmet to it, and also it, it keeps your hair nice. <laughs> <laughs> your hair yeah. nice 
Well, or the bugs, the bugs the again. Bugs Playing the upon bugs. the vanity might be a way to go. <laughs> yeah. you know. I think it's just we're talking about it more, and people are seeing more and more deadly crashes involving motorcycles. That they're they're starting to think more about their safety whenever they're on the road. Are we actually seeing more? Um, I know the statistics. We're not really, yeah, not really in- but I mean, as an observation. I mean, you're the public information officer. You probably get to see the news releases and all that to go out. Does it seem like there are more? Um, a lot of the fatal crashes, um, unfortunately, they're not wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the basic crashes, there are a lot that are wearing helmets. So I don't really have mm-hmm. an opinion or numbers with that. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to say always wear a helmet. Why not? Right, right, right. So, Fritzy, the awareness campaign is focusing on five different areas, bicycles, motorcycles, pedestrians, work zone, and emergency responder safety laws. Why those five? Because they're numbers that we see that increase. Um, again, you know, without talking stats, because most people don't really honestly care about a specific stat. But when you see something that's going up and it's something that's preventable, it, it's really it hits us. You know, we talk about like emergency responder safety. We talk about wearing a seatbelt or not driving impaired. Those are choices people are making. Well, almost all these things, yeah, people yeah, are making are choices when they're behind the wheel. People are making. Yeah. Right. Uh, Trooper Frazier. And again, I'm probably asking you anecdotally <laughs> rather than uh, for, for numbers. But of those five, do you see one that kind of sticks out that uh, demands even more attention? Um, I mean, it, I think it's a pretty fair number for, for all of them. It's one of those things that, like Frissy said, we may not think about, but I mean, unfortunately, we do see it like just like pedestrian. Pedestrians, we're not talking about just in downtown Gettysburg, where there's a bunch of crosswalks and businesses. We're talking about on 81. You know, we're yeah. talking about major highways that you shouldn't be a pedestrian on anyway. And if your car breaks down, you know, people think that they should start walking and or standing outside of their vehicle, you know, call a tow truck. And that's so like that, that's something that we see a lot with um, with pedestrians is somewhere that they shouldn't even be to begin with. Hitchhikers. We don't see as many hitchhikers no. as we used Thankfully. to. But yeah. uh, are, are hitchhikers or people walking along the interstate? Is that legal? No, you're not allowed to walk on any um, on any high, on the side of a highway. Um, normally, it's if their car breaks down, right, and right. they're gonna or they run out of gas, yeah. and they're just trying to walk down to the nearest gas station. Um, but I mean, I picked up many people on the side of 15 whenever their vehicle broke down, and you know I would drive them to the gas station to make sure that they got there safely. Mm-hmm. If you saw a hitchhiker, what would you do? Hitchhike on the side of 81. Yeah. I would definitely pull over and, I mean, get them off the highway, get them somewhere safe. So you'd pick them up? Absolutely, yeah. Would you take them where they want to go? No, I'm not a taxi driver. (laughs) No. no. I'll take them to the next exit where a gas station might be, you know, get their information, make sure that they're, you know, not wanted or anything crazy. But, um, I mean, ultimately, safety is our goal. So, you know, we're not going to leave you stranded. But with the pedestrians, too, I mean, it's getting warmer out. So more people are getting out and walking. And it's even simple things like... Did you know it's not legal? If there's a sidewalk there, you are required right. to be that, on that sidewalk. One of the things I my to neighborhood, talk about. I watch people, and if somebody from my neighborhood's listening, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> and they walk in the street or they push their yeah. strollers in the street, and I'm like, there's, and there's nothing wrong with the sidewalks. There will be people doing that, especially when there's snow outside, right. which we don't see as much anymore. But right. uh, I, I see the same thing. A lot of people who will walk in the street. Maybe especially when they're walking their dogs or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that. But in Pennsylvania, just to be clear, mm-hmm. if there's a sidewalk there and you're a pedestrian, you're required to walk on that sidewalk. Yes. yes. 
Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, by the way, the, the the hitchhiker you pick up and you check them for warrants. I'm always curious. This always this always raises questions in my mind. Um, do you check on warrants while they're in the car? Yeah. Well, not in the car, but I mean, like, we're, whenever we're dealing with them, we'll we'll keep them outside of the car and check. So it, it's really quick. Yeah. Technology is so great for us. They don't take off or anything if there's a warrant? Well, if they do, guess what? We're pretty She's fast. She's right there. <laughs> She's faster. You think you're fast? I'm pretty fast. You're pretty yeah. fast. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to stay fast uh, as you you're a trooper? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You have to pass a physical test, don't you? Yeah, uh, like, the beginning of our... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, now I'm curious. I'd like to, maybe a, a race between the two. Let me, oh, let me stretch first. Oh, oh, heck. <laughs> you know, there's that joke that says if you know somebody's chasing you, keep going. I'm ready yeah. to meet Jesus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back into the into the laws. You brought up pedestrians, and uh, this was. It just seems as though we hear more and more in the news about pedestrian vehicle crashes. So I, I, I look these these numbers up. Almost 4,000 crashes involving pedestrians in 2022. Uh, now, this is nationwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, 180, or no, this is in Pennsylvania. 4,000 crashes involving pedestrians in uh, 2022, about 180 fatalities. Now, both are increasing nationwide. Do we know why? Well, it was interesting because I think um, at the beginning of COVID, we saw numbers going mm-hmm. up, and I think it was because more people were out. You know, they weren't going to work; they they were out just in their neighborhoods, walking or downtown. Um, I just think there's more cars, there's more distractions, and it's distractions on the part of the pedestrian and the vehicle. Because how many pedestrians do you see now walking around and they got their phone right there in front of their face, or headphones on, or headphones or on, ears. and they can't. Yeah hear anything else that's going around uh, going on around them and motorists have so many distractions in their car and something catches their eye to the right and they miss that pedestrian who's in the crosswalk on the left and okay crosswalks mm-hmm. this, this is one <laughs> of the things trooper fraser drivers must yield in a crosswalk when yes whenever the person that is walking on the crosswalk is physically in the crosswalk mm-hmm. and they are actively walking so across. they physically have to have a step in the crosswalk yes. yes they can't just be standing on the curb nope no because I, I go through gettysburg all the time or chambersburg and i see people standing there and like i slow down but they're just sitting there on their phone or they're waiting for something and right um but the second that they step up step into the crosswalk they they do have the right of way isn't it a good idea to just, if you're a motorist, to just slow down, period, when you get to a crosswalk? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely. And Jinx. even if they're <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> um, and even if they're on the other side of the street from the direction you're traveling, you still are required to stop no matter where they are in that crosswalk. Over the years, many people have made a joke or downplayed jaywalking. In other words, crossing, mm-hmm. not at a, cross, mm-hmm. at a crosswalk. Pedestrians can cross the street, though, they don't have to do it a crosswalk, correct? <laughs> crickets. Did we just hear crickets? crickets? Uh, I mean, it's can, not safe. Yes, they can cross the road, but of course, if there's a vehicle that's coming and the vehicle has to slow down, or you're going to interfere and interfere with the vehicle's uh, lane of travel or how they're traveling, then you're you're in the wrong as a pedestrian. I mean, okay. you don't drive down a road and expect in between two parked cars for somebody to walk out in front of you just because they can. Right. Well, let me read from your release. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Did you write this, by the way? No. No. Okay. No, that came from downtown. If a pedestrian crosses the street, not at an intersection, and there is no crosswalk, the pedestrian must yield to mm-hmm. vehicles. So just what you said, Trooper, mm-hmm. that 
you know, jaywalking is not illegal, I guess, unless there is a sign that says it is illegal. So you can cross anywhere, but if you're not in a crosswalk, you have to yield to the vehicle. Yeah, and we see that downtown Harrisburg. Oh, we see it everywhere. We see that on Forster Street, and Mm -hmm. I see people that I know work for the same agency as mine because it's a long way between the crosswalks and the traffic signals, and they they aren't going to walk up to those. I almost always try the crosswalk just because I know it's safer. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. I didn't when I was younger and, you know, bulletproof and all that. (laughs) Only there's more visibility, but even if you're in the crosswalk as a pedestrian, and let's just say that there's a police vehicle or ambulance with lights and sirens on, that is the only time in in the crosswalk that you do not have the uh, the right of yeah, way. Yeah, I so, would imagine uh, expecting an I'm ambulance I'm sure there's people that think oh, they oh, yeah, automatically right, get yeah. it. They have had two headphones in. They're not paying attention. <laughs> they don't even look at you as they cross. Yeah. It's just a thing. We're just going to have an event session. I like to make sure you make <laughs> you know eye contact. Okay, we talked about pedestrians. Let's talk a little bit about emergency vehicles. We just touched on it a little bit. But what are some of the laws that Pennsylvania motorists really should be aware of when it comes to emergency vehicles? Um, if you if you hear sirens and you see lights behind you, just slow down, pull over uh, off the roadway. Um, ambulances for um, fire trucks and and for for police vehicles as well. But we all know that. Why do they have to be reminded of it? I think it's just people aren't paying attention, unfortunately. So, um, but you know that's just part of being aware of your surroundings and make sure that you are paying attention to what's in front of you, behind you, and all around you when you're driving the vehicle. What about? And pe- go ahead. We focus on the move over law. That's, it used to be called steer clear, right, but right. move over law now is is trying to give that protection because, you know, we're sitting in your office right now, basically. Right. You've got four walls around you, and short of somebody having an issue here in the building, you're guaranteed some relative safety. Megan, her coworkers, PennDOT, you know, anybody who's out there on the side of the road at an incident is at greater risk because there's nothing to protect them. Mm. Move over law. Let's remind listeners what that says, because this is a relatively new law. Actually, I didn't realize it was enacted in 2020, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, it's less than four years old. Well, it's actually older than that. We called it steer clear, but there were some changes made. Okay. So what's it say when it comes to emergency vehicles? I mean, vehicles, disabled vehicles along the road, you're supposed to move over. You're supposed to uh, reduce your speed. But what does it say when it comes to emergency vehicles? So if if an emergency vehicle is on the side of the berm or the roadway um, with their lights on activated, then you should, as a driver, slow down first thing. Second of all, if you can safely move over to the next lane that is away from the emergency vehicle, um, we obviously encourage you to do that. Give us our space. Um, especially on 81, I have seen traffic stops and um, tow truck drivers on the side of the road, and they're right where the guardrail is, and they don't have much space. So it might cause a little bit of a delay in traffic for a little bit, but that that's okay because it's it's mainly for safety. I noticed you said guardrail. Uh, I've had guide people. Rail. I know. I definitely, <laughs> yeah, PennDOT has this thing with guide rail. Guide rail. I, it I, guides you. I all. saw a national report the other day on the news that said guardrail. Oh no. So I and I thought of you right away. <laughs> Maybe that's a Pennsylvania term. Pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> term. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to, to bicycle safety, and there are a lot of rules. What about helmets? Under 12, wear it. Under 12 has to wear it. Anybody else should. Every Is there a time when an adult must wear a helmet? 
I don't think so. I mean, I, I always go back to a group that my husband used to work with, which was people that had had head injuries. He had a guy who had fallen off hit his head, and just where he hit his head, you could have him walk to the end of the hallway and tell him to turn around and come back. He had no idea how to do that, just based on where the brain injury was. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay, looking down through, Mm -hmm. because you have a lot of, in this release, uh, you have a a lot of different uh, things about uh, bikes. But one thing I wanted to point out, and because there's a lot of people probably not aware of this, Mm -hmm. bicyclists can't ride to abreast in Pennsylvania. Actually, I thought bicyclists yes, could. Can. It's motorcycles that can't. No, my, motorcycles can ride two abreast in the, in the same lane. Uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm looking where Uh-oh. I'm at here. Uh, Unless it's changed, but I mean, um, I, gotta, that's... I know bicycles should be able to ride two abreast. They're supposed to keep to the right side of the road, but right. they are entitled to be on the road just like a vehicle. Persons riding bicycles upon a roadway shall not ride more than two abreast. More than ah, two. More yeah. than, than two, two abreast. I okay. missed the more right. than two abreast. Okay. Right, and they're not supposed to ride on the sidewalks, but in some cases, it's just safer because motorists don't care. Okay, you can ride more than two abreast uh-huh. if you're on a path are a part of a roadway set aside for exclusive use of, mm-hmm. of bicycles. Okay, the right side you mentioned, people po- uh, that are passing bicycles, four feet, four as feet. you mentioned? Four feet, and oh. you can cross. People think they can't cross that double lo- yellow line. As long as there's not a vehicle coming toward them or they're on a curve or something like that, they can cross that double yellow line to give the motors- or the bicycles enough room. What's during? During what? D O O R I N G. Huh. Dooring. Oh, when you open the door. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right. when you open the door. Boy, this press release is real. Well, obviously, clearly, we we know our some of right. our talking points, but that's like in downtown Carlisle. They right. have that bike lane that's right next to where you park. Don't open your door without checking to make sure that there's no bicycle in that lane. Okay, that's what they were yes. talking about. You, you, you got it. I, I feel like I'm on Jeopardy or something. I know, right? <laughs> what like, is Doring? I'm a little stressed here now. <laughs> but you know, I can say I've seen that happen. Not where a bicyclist actually ran into someone, mm-hmm. but you know, nearly did. You know, and it looks very dangerous because there's a lot of people that just fling open the yep. door, thinking they've looked in their mirror. Don't see a vehicle coming, right? But, but then they miss the they, bike. They miss the bike or a motorcycle. Or a motorcycle. Let's transition to motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. What are what should motorists know about motorcycles? About motorcycles? Yeah. Um. I mean, loud pipe. Loud pipe save lives is a term that I like to say. Um. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't like loud motorcycles, but yeah. it is actually a safety thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I mean, it's it's just like any other passenger vehicle. You should be aware of what's behind you and front of you and beside you every every single time you park, stop, every like just whenever you're driving in general. And that reminds me real quick about bicyclists, too. They are required to follow all the same laws right. that a motor right. vehicle is required to, but you see it all the time. They ride through stop signs. They ride, you know, through red lights, all sorts of things. Work zones. I oh, yeah. know that uh, PennDOT and uh, state police... I mean, you've had some awareness campaigns, lots of billboards. I've mm-hmm. heard on radio and TV of work zone safety. Unfortunately, I'm sure one of the reasons is that there have been a number of workers who have been hurt or killed mm-hmm. in work zones because motorists not paying attention or speeding. Or So generally, what should motorists know? Well, we um, unfortunately have lost more than 90 employees in the line of 
of duty. You know, there was a plane crash, but um, it's more motorists are injured and killed in work zones every year. We have cameras out there now in a lot of major work zones, 11 miles an hour over the posted speed limit. You're going to get a warning first time, 75, 150 you should never get to more than one time. You should never even get to one time because that's their livelihood and they want to go home at the end of the yeah. day. If we're running radar, then we can pull you over for, for one mile over in, a, yeah. in an active work zone. So just mm. don't do it. Don't speed. You know, I, I've asked this question before on here, but uh, I know there are a lot of people who are curious about it. When there is not work going on, but the light is still flashing... You should still obey the speed limit that is posted. Okay, it could so be that concrete is curing because we all see those pictures of somebody right. who drove right into wet concrete. You yep. know, traffic pattern has shortened. There's there's a lot of reasons. Wow. I want to thank both of you for being on <laughs> Thanks uh, for having today. Us. Yeah, I mean, thank we, you. those were just five areas that, that we are making uh, motorists aware of today. Fritzy Schreffler, safety press officer with PennDOT. Trooper Megan Fraser, public information officer, Troop H of the Pennsylvania State Police. Coming up on the second half of the Spark Weekly, from the projects of Harrisburg to the boardroom of UPMC, Dr. Sherry Livingston is an OBGYN and the highest volume female robotic surgeon in Lancaster County. On the Spark, Dr. Livingston discusses her new roles and how she has stayed true to her childhood dream of becoming a doctor. You're listening to the Spark Weekly. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to the Spark Weekly. I'm Marquise Lupton. Dr. Cherie Livingston, a trailblazer in medicine, recounts her inspiring journey from her humble origins in Harrisburg to becoming a leading figure in gynecology. Dr. Livingston harbored a lifelong ambition to pursue medicine with a keen interest in women's health from an early age. And today on the Spark Weekly, we have the opportunity to catch up with her. Dr. Livingston, thank you for joining us on the Spark today. Thank you for having me on the Spark this morning. Yes, yes. Uh, so, um, how how did your your upbringing um, in Harrisburg shape your journey towards becoming a physician? Oh, it had everything to do with everywhere that I'm at. I was uh, born and raised in the inner city of Harrisburg, and there's no question that. Uh, the community that I was brought up in helped to build the love and warmth and strength and courage that I have to uh, work in such a rigorous field. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a very matriarchal family. My 96-year-old grandma, who is in Harrisburg right now as we speak, oh, wow. living and thriving, uh, had four girls and four boys. And uh, my aunts were, were wonderful. My uncles were amazing. My aunts were just wonderful folks. And they brought us all, the entire family brought us up to know and understand that hard work is extremely important. Mm. It's important to put one foot in front of the other. It's important to work together. And that really just put me on a path of um, just entering into medicine with, with some fierceness. Mm. Oh, I, I love that. So what, uh, what inspired you to pursue a career in, in medicine, uh, particularly in women's health? I, I, well, I like I said, I grew up in a very matriarchal family, and so I, I, I love women. I do. I love women and um, just caring for them from puberty to menopause. Uh, as an OBGYN physician, I, 
I get to engage women and people and girls at every point of their uh, reproductive years. Um, and if they, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of reproductive justice. So just because mm. I say reproductive doesn't mean I uh, say that every woman or person should be interested in reproduction, but just uh, biologically taking care of uh, women during those phases play plays such a good role. When I was young, growing up at Sacred Heart on Cameron Street in Harrisburg, and then St. Francis on Market Street, uh, and then ultimately attending Bishop McDevitt, I, I had a passion for science. Mm. I, I fortunately was really good in biology, and my teachers really just poured gasoline on that, and they could see that, you know, this young human uh, was... Uh, interested in sciences, excelled at sciences. And I, I, I just fell into the trap of health and science and mm. uh, followed follow that pathway and went on to Philadelphia, where I studied biology at St. Joseph's University and, and really, you know, took on this career in medicine. How did you come to that decision at such a young age uh, to, <laughs> to, to pursue this and, and, and apply it? And what is a candy stripper? So yeah, a candy striper is Striper's just sorry. that. It's a it's a it's a volunteer. It's a hospital volunteer. And now that we are sort of post COVID, you don't see or hear much of uh, this because we had to really you know ration who was allowed in the hospital for safety purposes. But uh, back in the day, Marquise, as you and I uh, say, uh, back in the day, you know, volunteers were studded all throughout hospitals. Mm. And uh, I grew up Catholic, St. Saint Francis uh, of Assisi Church on Market Street in Harrisburg, really created this environment of service for us uh, mm. because it is uh, really centered in a very uh, marginalized and vulnerable part of uh, Harrisburg. And one of the things that the church did for us was really instill in us the importance of service. And so my aunt, uh, Thelma, who hopefully will be listening to this later, she's the oldest girl in our family. We call her Aunt Sissy. Mm -hmm. um, used to take me and her daughter, Chavon, out to Community General. And we would volunteer out there. And we they called us candy stripers because of the aprons that we had to wear oh. uh, to protect our clothing. And we would walk around going from room to room and just passing out water. That was our job. <laughs> and I'm telling you, just and, and young people need to hear this, right? That something so simple is handing out water to um, ill and sick patients who are in the hospital and smiling and having them see uh, our, our energy as nine and 10 year olders. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's all we did. We didn't, well, you know, obviously we weren't per permitted to do much else, but we would take these little plastic canisters of water and make sure that the patients had their water filled. And I loved every bit of it. <laughs> I love, I love seeing the looks on the faces of the patients when they were tended to and it was in that moment, Marquise, where I learned the value of listening to people and how important it is. And in even my work with Black maternal health, mm -hmm. when we think about, and I know we'll touch point on this, but when we think about how to 
dismantle systemic racism and dismantle structural racism and address weathering that Arlene Geronimus talks about chronic stressors that are leading to chronic conditions in uh, people of color specifically, Mm. listening to marginalized communities, hearing what solutions they have, not just telling them our ideas of solutions. That's, it is in that candy striper moment when I was walking through the halls of Community General Osteopathic Hospital, um, where I learned the true value of listening. Mm, mm. So, um, so how how did this early exposure influence uh, you in, in choosing this career path? Then, well, like I said, I was I was really good at math and science. Uh, my mom, who uh, is my number one fan, she. It really encouraged me to study. She would mm-hmm. she would just be so happy to see me come home from school and eat my snack and then really just jump right into the book. So having the love and um, standards of academics mm-hmm. early on and then intertwining that with the value of volunteerism, it, it just dovetailed beautifully for me to walk into a career of medicine. And I knew just as early that I wanted to go into women's health. Obviously, I didn't know what it was called, but I, I just loved being around women. When when I grew up, our weekends were not full of sitting on cell phones. We were gathered at my aunt's house mm. and gathered at my grandmom's house. And I was around cackling women all weekend <laughs> long, cooking. They were cooking and baking and just talking. Mm. And I learn, I say it over and over. And, and I, I hope that the community understands what I mean, but I just learned to love women. Mm. And that shows in a lot of the initiatives that uh, I'm in uh, and have co-founded uh, with our, our flow organization founded by Tracy Jennings and co-founded by myself where, you know, the, the title itself, For the Love of Women, you know, when you think about uh, women's health and how it can start as early as puberty and, and matriculate all the way up to um, menopause and postmenopause, mm. these are opportunities to engage a very important and crucial part of our community. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in women's health. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to uh, um, talk uh, more ab- about um, uh, flow and about uh, your advocacy uh, for black maternal health on the other side of, of this break. Uh, but before we do that, um, what challenges uh, did you face uh, with this journey in becoming um, a OBGYN, especially the chair of the department? Yeah. So as a as a black person, as a person of color, the challenges that bestow, unfortunately, all of us are being marginalized in in our communities Mm. and and living in under resourced areas. Um, Structural and systemic racism play an important role in uh, the barriers and disparities. And I encountered all of them. Um, I think that it is important to it, it. in part on your listeners that um, we have overcome, we continue to overcome, Mm -hmm. and we will overcome these disparities when we work together as all of us are doing. I know the work that you and your wife do, Mm -hmm. your your mom, uh, the work that we're doing, 
with Patients Are Waiting and the Diversifying Doula Initiative and Pipeline Dreams and Flow, um, we our, our folks know the importance of working together. Our folks know and understand that um, we, we have, we will overcome, and we do it by really deconstructing the barriers that are in front of us. Mm, I, I love that. Deconstructing the barriers that are in front of us. Um, so um, your your role uh, um, in, in serving as a uh, role model uh, to, uh, to, to younger girls, how seriously do you take that? Uh, I, I take it very seriously. I think that it is important for uh, young girls, specifically young black girls, girls to look through, uh, look in the mirror and see themselves. And for folks that are not, for the um, non-Black young girls, it's important for them to look through the window and see the work. So, you know, I, I, I value this phenomena of mirrors and windows, mm. uh, mirrors so that you can see yourself, windows so that you can see others. And I, I value that. So when we talk about you know, me being uh, uh, someone that young people look up to, I, I want there to be a, a reason for all young girls to value what I do. Mm. Uh, if they're not culturally congruent, then they can look through the window and see the value of the work that other people, specifically Black people, are contributing to the community. And then for the culturally congruent young girls, young Black girls, when they see me and the work that I'm doing, they know that they too can, uh, you know, travel into healthcare careers and excel at those careers. Mm. So it's all about mirrors and windows. Uh, when I think about uh, my aunt, um, I, I always I refer to my mom and my aunt and my grandmoms almost, like all the time. It's just a thing for me. Uh, but uh, my aunt Yvonne Hollins worked uh, tirelessly in Harrisburg as an academician and uh, an administrator. And she laid a very solid groundwork for us uh, to, to follow and track. Mm. And that's, that's the benefit of um, community work, that, you know, the next generation doesn't have to work as hard mm. as the, the one previously. That's, that's the benefit of generational wealth to, you know, track, get into a whole different conversation and track is so that we can lay down the pathways and create blueprints. Mm -hmm. I focus on that word blueprint. Like, do you know the value of a blueprint? Somebody is saying that if you follow this pathway and I'm going to lay it down for you, it makes it easier, not easy, but easier so that you can precipitously reach your goal so that whatever is at the end point of your goal you can capitalize off of that goal, be it helping the community, addressing poverty, eliminating menstrual inequity, mm. diversifying medicine. We don't, that's why we, that's why we named patients are waiting what we did. Patients are literally waiting for us. There is no time. Mm. When we talk about black women being three to four times more likely to die in childbirth, we don't have time to perseverate on things that, um, that are, aren't, aren't leading to change, we have to get there quickly. Yeah. So why are we creating the blueprint? So that people can matriculate 
into their pathways quicker to address the issues that are on the other side. Um, Dr. Livingston, want to uh, uh, talk about uh, some of these initiatives uh, that you discussed. Um, you discuss uh, black maternal health. You discuss patients are waiting on the flow organization, uh, your doula initiative. Um, so just just as a whole, um, why why did you d- decide to be a part of and, and start these initiatives and organizations? So as an OBGYN physician, we get the pleasure of taking care of women inside of pregnancy, outside of pregnancy. I, a typical day in the life of an OBGYN is You know, I may have patients in the office where I'm doing annual exams and pap smears and breast exams and ruling in or ruling out pregnancy or uh, providing birth control for those who desire. Uh, Then uh, we have on-call sessions where I sleep in the hospital for 24 hours and leave my lovely family. And thanks to my amazing husband, he holds down the fort for me. Um, You know, and we're catching babies during those times, doing C-sections, vaginal births running to the emergency room to address things like ectopic pregnancy or heavy Mm. bleeding. Uh, And then another thing that OBGYNs do is we operate. So I do, as you said at the top of the hour, I do robotic surgery, tons of robotic surgery, prolapse surgery. So this is a day in the life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But Good things happen most often, and sometimes bad things happen. And I um, unfortunately experienced maternal death, Mm. um, and it changed everything for me. It changed the trajectory of my uh, career. Uh, Fortunately, I still keep in contact with the families, uh, but uh, it, it, it really impacted me. And I said, I want to change the pathway for all maternal death, but Mm. specifically black maternal death, because black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth. And that in and of itself needs to be unpacked. Because as I tell my four children, when somebody makes a statement to you, I want you to ask five whys. Mm. Uh, Black women are more likely to die. Why? Well, because they have more um, chronic conditions and obesity. Why is that? Uh, Because they live in marginalized communities and uh, there are food, uh, there's food apartheid and, um, you know, lack of access to affordable care. Why? Like you, you have to, Mm. we, we as a whole must put a mandate on each other that whatever information we're told, if I can tell my four children to ask why five times, then that's, to me, that's the standard, right? Because then you get to the crux, you get to the root of issues, and then you know how to fix them. Because if you're doing surface work, as we call it in patients are waiting, we don't do surface work. Mm. We're five Mm. questions in. And that's how we're able to uh, really address uh, health disparities. Our mission at Patients Are Waiting is to eliminate health disparities by increasing diversity in medicine. Since the 1960s, uh, the number of Black physicians and surgeons, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, is 5%. If we represent 12% of the population, then why has that number remained unchanged at 5%? And there are many contributors, but our job is to diversify medicine. And one may say, well, why would you want to diversify medicine? 
Well, studies show that if there's cultural congruence, meaning healthcare providers um, have similar lived experiences to the communities that they serve, uh, there's an increase in preventive care. There's an increase in treatment adherence. So if the doctor says, hey, take these high blood pressure medications uh, that, you know, one is more likely to take them if there's cultural congruence. And third, uh, the community is more likely to participate in necessary research. Mm. Uh, we don't we don't want to just be the people who are researched upon. We want to be the researchers. Uh, and it, in science, research is important, right? I need to know if this medication is going to cause harm or heal. I need to know if this vaccination is going to cause harm or prevent disease. Mm. So research is necessary. And it's important that research encompasses um, a diversity because, you know, I need just even biologically, it's important to understand how it impacts each of us. And so uh, that's that's how I got into this particular path of advancing black maternal health. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I want to see us birth better. I was, um, I was in New York City last week uh, doing something very similar to, to what I'm doing now. And one of the topics that came up was, you know, has, has this been the case, you know, this, this maternal health disparity? Has it always been the case? And I, I wanted to fall off my chair because no, we, mm. we birth beautifully. Black people birth beautifully. Um, it is the inception of oppression that has led to the disparities that we see. Mm. And so, you know, with our diversifying doula initiative, uh, where we are trying to improve maternal health uh, through doula care, we're trying to touch point on that historical pride that we have, where we, we know how to birth better so that we can bring joy back into black birth. Mm. And then when we bring that joy and health and safety back into black birth, we will improve all birth because no mom deserves to die. This right. isn't about just saying black moms don't deserve to die. No mom deserves to die because all children deserve their families. All families deserve their complete family members mm -hmm. and all communities deserve that birthing person to reinsert herself or themselves back into the community. Dr. Cherie Livingston, thank you for joining us on The Spark today. Thank you. And I want to thank you for tuning in to The Spark Weekly today. And on behalf of Scott Lamar and the rest of The Spark team, I want to thank you for joining us and making us a part of your day. I'm Marquise Lupton. This is The Spark Weekly, and have yourself a wonderful week. <laughs>